The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning and go to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. And here on Sunday mornings, we've been going through uh, studies uh, that we've called the anatomy of the church. We've been looking at uh, the biblical concepts of a church. And so far, uh, we t- looked at some observances of the church uh, and uh, just uh, what it is, and then we also looked at the uh, uh, some of the offices of the church, the pastor and the office of deacon as well. And uh, right now we're looking at the ordinances of the church. Last week we started with the ordinance of baptism, and we discussed that and explained what the Bible teaches about that. And this morning we're going to uh, speak about the ordinance that uh, helps remind us of exactly what that song that was just sung has to, has to proclaim that Jesus took our place and he died for us, and that is the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And doing so, we're going to find ourselves in 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to read verses 23 through 31 here this morning as we consider uh, what the Scripture teaches us about this uh, idea of the Lord's Supper. And so look at with me in verse number 21 of 1 Corinthians 11. It says, for in, e- uh, let's see, 1 Corinthians 11, um, in 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in, where am I at here? My, 23, 23, here we go. Let's try it again. 23 is what I'm trying to say, verse number 11. Anybody want to help me out here? Let's see. In verse number 23, for I have received of the Lord, which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. In uh, verse number 26, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread um, and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves... We should not be judged. Our Father, we come to you this morning, and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. I would ask, God, that you just help us as we deliver this word, that we would uh, hear from you, that you'd speak to our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would guide us in this truth. And Lord, I ask now that you be on glorified through everything that is said and done and accomplished. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned last week, we considered believers' baptism, that ordinance that was given to the church there, and uh, that was one of the two ordinances. The second ordinance that was given to the church is this of the Lord's Supper. Uh, I'd like to consider uh, what this this Lord's Supper is. Uh, Some people use the term uh, communion, and that's a fine term as well. Uh, Some people use the term the Lord's table. That's a biblical term as well. Um, We find that uh, oftentimes we use the terminology of the Lord's Supper, but this is an observance uh, that was first observed by the Lord and His disciples on the night of His betrayal before He would be crucified and buried and risen again. 
And uh, they would, we find that having the, the privilege and the opportunity to participate in the Lord's Supper is something that ought to be dear to the heart of the believer. It ought to be something that uh, every believer desires to partake in and to participate in as well. The verses before us here in 1 Corinthians 11, they record the command that has been given to partake of it. We find in verse number 23, it says, For I received of the Lord that which was also delivered unto you. Uh, it says he took bread, and uh, it says in verse 23, And when he had uh, given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he says, This do in remembrance of me. And so the same manner, the same likeness, he says, to do this in remembrance of him. And we'll talk about the significance of that in just a bit. Uh, but as we consider the opportunity to uh, partake in the Lord's Supper, to re remember what he's done for us, we consider the fact that it was his sacrifice that was the means of providing redemption and being able to give us a home in heaven and a relationship with him. And I want to look at two, two things here, twofold in the main thoughts here this morning, and that is the significance of the Lord's Supper and then also the sanctity of the Lord's Supper. And uh, there's a few things that I want to accomplish as we consider uh, what is the Lord's Supper uh, and uh, the biblical importance of it. I want us to consider what it is, first off. I also want, to, I want us to consider what it isn't as well, and uh, we'll discuss those things as we go along. So as we consider the, uh, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, I want you to notice with me, number one this morning, the significance of the supper, and join me in verse 23 again. In verse 23, it says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye, as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So in these verses, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, he gives great significance uh, to the uh, time of partaking in the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table. And it is an occasion that I don't believe that the believer should enter into lightly. I don't think that it is something that we should just consider to be a flippant uh, aspect of our, our life as, of, as a believer. I don't believe that it's something that we ought to just do because it's scheduled on the uh, calendar. In fact, you heard in the announcement video, uh, we will be partaking of the Lord's table next Sunday evening at 5.30, but we ought not to do it just because it's on the calendar and not just because it's something that's scheduled to do. I fear that many fail to uh, understand or even appreciate the significance that is laid before us as we consider the supper as well. And so I do believe that it is a, a occurrence or a occasion that every believer ought to be familiar with, but not so familiar with it that we just treat it as a mundane or routine aspect of the Christian life. And so what is the significance of this supper? What makes the Lord's Supper so significant, in fact? And we see this in our text verses here this morning, in verses 24 and 25, that the significance of the supper is seen that it's a time of consideration. 
Because look at verses 24 and 25 again. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do ye in rem- do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as oft as he drank it in remembrance of me. And so as we understand the significance of the Lord's Supper, we realize the time of consideration that it holds. And we ought to come to the Lord's table, and as we observe the Lord's Supper, we should consider what Jesus did for us. The fact that He died for us. That, the fact that He gave His life willingly so that you and I might be able to live. And the time of remembrance and consideration is, is vitally important as we partake in the Lord's Supper. We ought to consider what He did for us when He went to Calvary's cross. That song we heard so eloquently put it this morning, in a, that uh, I am the one that should have been crucified. I'm the one that should have suffered. I'm the one that should have gone through the agony. I'm the one that should have done, uh, gone through the pain and the sorrow and the turmoil and all that Christ experience. That should have been mine. And ultimately, my, uh, my friends, as a, as a human being, as a sinful human being, I should have to spend eternity in hell because of my sin, because of who I am as a sinner. But the fact that Jesus Christ willingly laid down his life so that you and I might be able to live. The Bible is clear that the thief, he comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But Christ came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. How do we have abundant life? How do we have life everlasting? Well, it's only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And my friends, when we come to the time of partaking in the Lord's Supper, and we, we consider that that bread that is there, and we consider the juice that is taken. We consider the body of Jesus Christ that experienced great agony and great shame and great turmoil so that we might be able to live. We consider the blood that was shed at Calvary's cross, that blood that cleanses sinners from all their sins, the, only the blood of Jesus that has the power to do so, my friends. And we consider the fact of what Jesus went through and and how he willingly suffered so that you and I might be able to live. It was the innocence that bore the condemnation of the guilty on the cross that day. It was the one that was perfect, the spotless Lamb of God, who was slain so that you and I might be able to experience forgiveness. We had a debt that we could not pay, and Jesus, by shedding his blood, paid that debt that debt in full, it is finished. And my friends, when we come to the Lord's table, it is not something that we just do and we come to it flippantly and we just come to it as another uh, aspect or routine on our, on our calendar. We ought to come prepared because it is a significant time for the believer to be able to take a moment and consider what Christ did for us as he died on Calvary's cross, enduring the suffering of the cross for all. We're reminded in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 through 7. It says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shears is dumb, so openeth not 
so he openeth not his mouth. And I trust that every single one of us here this morning that is underneath the sound of my voice has trusted Christ as their personal Savior, trusted the fact that, he's, that he died for them, that he willingly suffered all those things so that we might be able to live. And I pray and I hope that every single person here that, that is here this morning knows Christ as their Savior. But as we come to the time of the Lord's Supper, it ought to be a time where we consider the great price that he paid for us, the penalty that we owed, and the great price he paid so that we could escape it. But my friends, you realize this morning that as we consider the significance of the supper, it's significant because it's a time where we can come and consider what he's done for us on the cross. But do you understand that if we just were able to consider what he did for us on the cross, and he was buried, and he stayed buried in that tomb, do you understand that if he was not a risen Savior, that we have nothing to celebrate? But the fact is this morning that we serve a risen Savior. And so not only is this a time of consideration of what he did for us at Calvary, but it's also a time of consideration of what he did as he rose again as well. Because as I mentioned, had he not rose again, our faith is in vain. There's no reason for us to gather here this morning. There's no reason to trumpet and proclaim his word. There's no reason for us to stand upon any of the principles or to say, thus saith the Lord, because if he had not risen, then everything else is false also. But my friends, he is a risen Savior. And we celebrate that. We have that to have, we have the victory of knowing that he has conquered death, hell, and the grave. And he, we, if he had not risen, he'd be just like any other man, but he's not another man. He's God. As we participate in communion, we don't participate in communion as a time to grieve over a lost loved one. When, many a times when we have a funeral or, or uh, some type of a service for one that has passed, we'll have a meal for the family or uh, for close friends afterwards. And it's a time where we come together and we think about times that we've shared with that individual, but we also find that there's tears still shed there and there's mourning and grief that takes place. The Lord's Supper is not a place for that because our Savior is not dead today, my friends. Our Savior is alive and He's well. He rests in heaven on the right hand of the Father. As Luke would put it, why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. See, He has is, he is risen victorious, and He's alive forevermore. And therefore, we have hope in the resurrection. We have hope that one day we will stand before Him face to face. My friends, as we consider the fact of the significance of the supper, it's a time of significance, or a time of consideration, I should say, considering what he did for us when he died and rose again. But the significance of the supper is also found not only in that it's a time of consideration, but it's also a time of anticipation. Because I want you to notice with me in verse number 26. Verse 26 says, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, notice what it says, you do show the Lord's death, What's those last three words? Till he comes. And so we find here, my friends, that when we come to the Lord's table, we, we, we partake of the bread and we partake of the juice and we're reminded or consider the fact that he died for us willingly, that he shed his blood for us willingly, that he rose again to give us life everlasting. But we also take time to anticipate the fact that he's going to return. See, my friends, we read in the scriptures that 
He, uh, he, after his resurrection, he spent some time with his disciples, but he, he ultimately ascended into heaven. That's where he's at today. He's on the right hand of the Father, as I mentioned earlier. But my friends, he promised that he's going to return. He's going to come back. And we're told to observe the Lord's Supper until he comes. And so there's a promise of the Lord's return. All throughout Scripture, there's hints and there's uh, clear statements of the promise of His return. And even in these three simple words at the end of this verse, it reminds us that He's going to return. My friends, we are going to partake of the Lord's Supper next Sunday. Next Sunday evening around 5.30, we'll start the service and we'll distribute the elements and we'll take time to consider what the Lord has done for us and we'll consider the fact that He's a risen Savior. But my friends, we ought to also take time to anticipate that He could return at any moment. And look for that blessed hope. As Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 28 says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. As Titus 2 and 13 says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. But as we consider the fact that he could return at any moment, that means he could return today as well. Before we ever partake in that next week, he could return today. And I truly trust that you also are anticipating his return. Because we're reminded in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Not only have we seen... This, the, first off this morning, the significance of the supper. But secondly, this morning, I want you to notice the sanctity in the supper as well. As we look at verse number 27, it says in verse number 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. The closing, closing verses in our passage here, Paul is addressing this church, and he's addressing the need for personal purity, for sanctity, if one expects to participate in the Lord's Supper. Before we go any further, though, and before we elevate this observance to something that it is not, I want it to be clear that this is exactly what I said. It is an observance. This is not, uh, this is not teaching uh, that it's a sacrament that actually becomes the body or the blood of Jesus Christ. The Catholic Church teaches a teaching called transubstantiation. That teaches that when a person takes the bread, or that it is literally becoming the flesh of the Lord. When they take the juice, it is literally becoming the, uh, the blood of the Lord. And they are partaking in it in such a way as believing that that somehow is saving them or bringing them some type of extra grace. My friends, let me explain to you this morning that first and foremost, that that is a wrong understanding of what the supper is, one because it's not taught anywhere in Scripture. The Scripture never teaches that the elements of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the juice, that it ever becomes the literal body or blood of Jesus Christ. You'll never find it in Scripture. It is not there. So it's an incorrect understanding of the Lord's Supper or elevation of the Lord's Supper, because first off, that's not what the Bible teaches. Secondly, it is an incorrect 
teaching of the Lord's Supper or understanding of the Lord's Supper or elevation of the Lord's Supper, not only because the Bible doesn't teach it, but also to observe it in that way would to be against the teachings of Scripture. What do you mean by that, preacher? Well, I mean by that because the Bible is clear that Jesus Christ gave his body once for all of us. I, want to, or I read the verse quickly earlier, but in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28, it says this. For Christ, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So my friends, we find that the Bible is clear right there in Hebrews and other places that Jesus Christ died and gave his body once, once for all, and that settled it. He doesn't have to be re-crucified. He doesn't have to die again to some, because somehow his first death didn't cover all the sins of all mankind. He only had to suffer once, and he rose again only one time because he has all power in heaven and earth. So my friends, not only does Scripture not teach that the body or that the, the elements become the body and blood of Jesus Christ, but also to believe it or to trust it as such would then to, be, to go against the teachings of Scripture because, in essence, to take the body of Jesus Christ over and over again would be to bring Him to crucifixion over and over again. And that's a serious matter. If you don't believe so, just ask Moses. Even in the Old Testament, Moses, as he was leading the children of Israel, they needed water. And the Lord said unto him, strike that rock, right? How many times was he supposed to, to strike it? Just once. How many times did he do it? Twice. He struck it twice, and because of that, what happened? He was not allowed to enter into the promised land. Who, what did that rock represent? Jesus Christ. Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. That was a representation of Jesus Christ. And to strike it more than once would, to say that, would be to say that his sacrifice the first time wasn't enough to, to be the supply for all that they needed. All throughout Scripture, there's references to this, and over and over and over again, we find this taking place. And so, my friends, we understand the sanctity of this supper, but let's not elevate it to something that it's not. It is not a part of our salvation. It does not bring us an extra measure of grace. But let's look a bit further, further to the sanctity of this supper. Now, we find that the sanctity of the supper is found in the fact that this is a time of examination, because the Bible says in verses 27 through 30, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. See, I believe that the Lord takes this time very seriously. And so, therefore, we ought to take it seriously as well. Now, my friends, let me uh, go on the record of stating this. The Bible is clear that by grace are you saved through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. That not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We can't boast in anything we do to have attained our salvation. Our salvation comes from Jesus alone by his death, burial, and resurrection. And he extends it to us freely through his grace. We can't do anything to earn it. But the Bible tells us, in 1 John in chapter 1, that if we say we have fellowship with God, but live in darkness, then we are lying. We're, we're, living in, we're, we're not living in the truth. There's a big difference between fellowship and a relationship, though. And for instance, my friends, when my children 
disobey, I don't disown them, right? When they disobey, our fellowship is not what it could be. They don't want to come snuggle up into daddy's lap because uh, they're in trouble. And they're not going to sit there and look and beat their pretty little eyes at me and say, Daddy, will you take me to Peter Piper Pizza to play today? Because they're in trouble. They're, they're, what they have done, their, their, their misbehavior has, has broken some of the fellowship. Now, that fellowship can be fixed. We, for, uh, we forgive our children, and they right the wrongs. They, they correct their behavior and things like that, right? And, and things get back to where it ought to be. But just because they misbehave doesn't mean that our relationship has been severed doesn't mean that we've, we're no longer their parents and they're no longer our children, right? You following where I'm coming? So there's a big difference between fellowship and relationship. And First John 1 says that our fellowship, if we say we have fellowship with God but walk in dark, live in darkness, then we lie. It doesn't say relationship. It says fellowship. And so when we live in wickedness, when we live in our sin, our fellowship with the Lord isn't as sweet as it could be. We, we, are not, we're, we know we're living in sin. We know where we've gone wrong. We're probably not jumping up and down saying, Jesus, Jesus, I want to be with you. We're probably not going to the Word of God and reading it like we ought to. We're probably not praying like we ought to. We're much more like Adam and Eve in the garden. After they sinned, they tried to hide themselves from Jesus. Why? Because they knew their sin. And we know our sin as well. Our sin doesn't have any bearing on whether or not we're saved, but it does have some bearing on our fellowship, right? And so when we come to the Lord's table, it's an opportunity for us to purposefully examine ourselves. Lord, is there a place or an area in my life that I've not yielded to you? Is there a portion of my life I've not submitted to you? Is there an area that I've just kind of coasted through life and I'm doing my own thing and I'm not giving you the reins of my life? Are there some sin in my, is there some sin in my life that I have not confessed unto you and said, Lord, please help me conquer this? See, my friends, we have the promise in 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9 that if we confess our sins, if we, if we realize and recognize where we are living contrary to the word of God, when we recognize that we are living in sin, we get to come to the Lord and says, if we confess our sins, guess what? He's faithful and he's just to beat us within an inch of our life and then it's going to fix everything. <laughs> Is that what the Bible says? No, it doesn't. Take your Bibles if you have it. Look at 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, my friends, maybe you'll think back to your childhood. Maybe you have kids now. And as a parent, whenever you hear well, I shouldn't say here. Whenever you recognize silence, you're like, oh my, what's going on now, right? What are they doing? You call out for them and they don't necessarily answer right away. You go see, seeking for them and they're, they're trying their best to hide from you. When you find them, they're kind of like being suspect and everything. And like, okay, what's going on? You just know that something is wrong. You know something is wrong and they're trying to hide it from you. Why? Well, they feel a little ashamed about it, maybe. They're afraid about get, uh, what trouble they might got, get into. They know they've disobeyed and broken some rules or whatever. And so they're trying to distance themselves 
from their parents because they don't want to face the consequences. We as believers do the same thing. When we know that we're living in sin, we distance ourselves from our Heavenly Father. We don't pray like we ought to. We don't read His Word like we ought to. The way we treat people, we don't do it like we ought to because the Spirit's not guiding us because we distance Him. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes, as believers, we just need a purposeful and planned time to actually examine our lives and say, you know what? I might have overlooked these things, but there are some things in my life that aren't right with the Lord. And the Lord suffers a perfect opportunity to do that. Because look what the Bible says there again. In verse number 27, Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Why? Because he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. See, my friends, we find that the Bible is telling us here that if we will take the time to consider where we might have ought against the Lord, and if we would just confess it, He automatically forgives us of it. And then we're able to partake of this time and remembering what He's done for us and anticipating that He's going to come. And look at verse number 31. It says, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Therefore, not only do we see the sanctity in this supper, in the fact that it's a time of an examination, but we see the sanctity in this supper in the fact that it's a time of rededication as well. Because it says, if we would judge ourselves, in verse number 31, we should not be judged. I'll tell you this, my friends. I'd rather examine my heart willingly and humbly come before the Lord and ask for forgiveness than for the Lord to have to shake me up. And say, listen, boy, you ain't paying no attention to my word. I'd rather have come to the Lord willingly and humbly offer, just praying unto him and saying, please forgive me, Lord, than for him to bring chastisement into my life. And so we find that it's an opportunity for us to bring, bring ourselves in rededication unto the Lord. I think of, of David in Psalm 51 and 10 where he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And my friends, Paul's writing to this church at Corinth, and he's saying specifically, hey, there's some of you, look at, look at uh, verse number um, 30, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. What is the cause of their sickness? What is the cause of their weakness, their sleep? And verse number 29 is the answer, that they have eat and drink unworthily. And so it's because of that, that many are weak, many are sickly, and even many sleep. It says that word sleep is literally speaking of death. This is how, how important and how serious the Lord takes it. So when we come to the Lord's table, we come with the attitude not, oh, this is just another thing on the calendar, not a flippant attitude about it, but coming, desiring to remember what the Lord's done for us to be, have, have a heart of gratitude for what He's done for us, to be able to come to, come to that table anticipating the fact that He's going to return, examining our life to see, say, Lord, where might I not have yielded in my life to you and given it to you? I'm rededicating my life right now to this, at this opportunity to you to, for your service, to yielding to you and just to let your spirit guide me. But before we close, I want you to notice that 
The Bible says that when we are partaking of the Lord's Supper, two things are taking place. We're considering what He's done for us when He died on the cross and rose again. We're considering the fact and anticipating the fact that He's coming for His own. So that clearly teaches me this, my friends, that only those who are saved ought to participate in the Lord's Supper. Because if I am unsaved, then I have nothing to thank God for in the fact that He died and rose again, because I've never experienced His forgiveness yet. He's, what He's done, yeah, it's, been, it's a wonderful thing He's done for other people, but not for me. So what joy do I have in that? I've never trusted Him. I've never accepted Him. So what good does remembering that do to me if that doesn't bring me to trusting Him as Savior? And in fact, if I'm a, if I'm a lost sinner, I dread for His return. I don't anticipate it. Because when He returns, I'm going to be left. And If I die in my sinful state, I have nothing but hell to look forward to. So the fact that we look back to what Christ has already done for us, and the fact that we anticipate His return, proves that this Lord's Supper is meant for only those who know Christ as their Savior. Isn't it interesting that both of the ordinances that the Lord gave to the the church to continue on in our time here, baptism and the Lord's Supper, both are meant for people who know Christ as their Savior and should take place after they have trusted Christ as their Savior? We don't get baptized before we're saved because all that does is get us wet. And we don't partake of the Lord's table before we get saved because all we're doing is going through some motions that mean nothing to us. And so we find, my friends, the great importance of the Lord's Supper. Now this morning, maybe the Lord's spoken to you about something in your life that you've yet to yield to Him, that you've yet to give over to Him. You don't have to wait to the Lord's Supper to confess sin. You don't have to wait for the Lord's Supper to remember His death on Calvary. You don't have to wait for the Lord's Supper to remember His resurrection. You don't have to wait for the Lord's Supper to anticipate His return. You don't have to wait for the Lord's Supper to rededicate your life unto Him and say, Lord, your life is, my life is yours to control. We don't have to wait for those things, but He has given us a, something that He's actually commanded us to do that gives us a purposeful opportunity to do all of those things. That's how good God is that He's given us the operations in which we ought to operate. And apart from Christ, we would be yet in our sins and dead and on our way to hell because He has died for us and risen again. We have the opportunity to live eternally. I pray that every single person that's here this morning knows Christ as their personal Savior. I pray that we all can look back and say, God, thank you for what you've done for me. God, I look forward to the day that I'm able to see you face to face. You're going to return. I look forward to that. I'm thankful for the fact that even though I am saved, that in the midst of my, my, my imperfection, that when I sin, I have the opportunity to come before him and ask for forgiveness. And I'm thankful that he gives me time after time again the opportunity to rededicate myself to him as well. But if you're here this morning and you don't know him, wouldn't it be an awesome time to start that journey? Wouldn't it be an awesome opportunity to have that relationship with him? And if you don't know Christ as your Savior today, can I invite you to trust him today as your personal Savior? Would you stand to your feet with me, please, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning? With our heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around out of respect of others. I wonder how many here would say, Pastor, I know for sure that I'm saved, and I know that heaven's my home.
And if I were to die today, I would spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. Could I just rejoice with you? Would you slip your hand up and right back down? Hands all across the auditorium, testifying to the fact of their salvation, knowing Christ as their Savior. Praise God for that. Would there be anyone here this morning who would just be honest enough to say, Pastor, I just don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that heaven's my home. I'm not sure that I've ever been born again. Could I just pray for you? If so, would you slip your hand up and write back down? Pastor, please pray for me. I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that I've ever been born again. Then one last question. Who here would say, Pastor, I know I'm saved. I'm, I know heaven's my home. But something through the message today, the Lord's spoken to my heart. Maybe it's something I need to yield to him. Maybe it's something that I need to, uh, to just submit my life to. Maybe there's something that, uh, that uh, I've uh, yet to ask forgiveness for, and I need to ask forgiveness for it. Maybe I need to take some time and just thank him for what he's done. Maybe I ought to rejoice anticipating the fact that he's going to return. I don't know what it is, but maybe the Lord's spoken to your heart in some way, and you'd say, Pastor, please pray for me. Pray with me, because the Lord spoke to my heart through the message in some way, and I just want to be obedient to him in that. Could I pray with you also? Would you slip your hand up and right back down? Hands across the auditorium. I'm going to pray. The music's going to begin to play. And if the Lord spoke into your heart, I want to invite you to come to the altar and uh, do business with him as he sees fit. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your goodness and love. And Lord, I ask now that you just help us continue to work in our lives, mold us and guide us as we strive to have a church that just uh, honors you and accomplishes your work and plan. And Lord, we ask that you have your will and your way in this invitation. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the piano